I've spent the last three years learning from some of the most ingenious fund managers around. And now I've decided to take the plunge and start my own fund. The real question is, how will I do it? With no investors and without an Ivy League degree, this podcast is going to give you the answer. Join me and follow along as I share mine and other stories as we start and build multi-million dollar investment funds. I'm Bridger Pennington, and this is Investment Fund Secrets. All right, all right. Welcome back to the Investment Fund Secrets Podcast. Today we got with us Ali. Ali, welcome on. How are you doing today, brother? Hi, Bridger. Thanks for having me on. I'm doing great. How are you doing? This is gonna be this is gonna be a very fun conversation talking about I, I feel like the future of finance, the future of, of Bitcoin and blockchain and all sorts of fun stuff. But real quick, a, a brief buy on Ali before we dive in. This is gonna be a very fun conversation. But you're the managing partner at Blockchain Founders Fund, where you invest in venture top tier startups. You're also an LP in a number of different funds as well. Um, really, really cool actually. So Ali wa- went to the Schwartzman Institute in, is it Xinhua Dashue in China? Is that right? Correct, yes, in Beijing. Okay, that's awesome in Beijing. So Steven Schwartzman back, is that correct? That's his, correct. I read about that in his book, his his big foundation he had in China. So you were went there, we're gonna talk about that as well. And then a bachelor of commerce um, from University of Toronto as well. Um, I know you have a lot on here. I kind of jumped through it a little bit, your your bio, um, but we're excited to have you on. So give us, uh, Ali, first off, where are you calling in from? I'm calling in from Vancouver. Vancouver. Okay, so you're in Canada right now. Um, now on, on here as well, I've, I'm seeing some other stuff. You're, you know, Blockchain 100 global leader. I mean, we're going to talk a lot about this kind of stuff and you guys feel like kind of pioneering this industry a little bit as a fund and what you're doing. So give us the the quick overview, maybe one minute overview of everything that goes on inside of your blockchain founders fund and what you guys are actually working on a little bit deeper than the bio. Yeah, absolutely. So we've got about 55 portfolio companies now all around the world. So spanning six continents. Uh, we're really looking at early stage companies. Uh, so most of our companies tend to be when we enter into them in their seed round, pre-series A, even many times pre-seed deals. Uh, and we come in and we support these companies very hands-on, right? So it's a it's a mixture of capital, supporting our companies on strategy, product market fit, how to drive sales and, and revenues very effectively, uh, even user growth, and then helping our companies to become better capitalized. And we've had phenomenal returns uh, in the top one percentile of VCs globally, uh, which has been you know great uh, two and a half years or so since we've been doing this. Um, and we also consult organizations like the United Nations. We also consult INSEAD, and I serve as senior blockchain fellow uh, there, which is one of the leading business schools in the world. Uh, and then I also serve on two boards of public companies. Uh, one's a NASDAQ company called Mechanical Technologies, focused on Bitcoin mining. And another is uh, CryptoStar, which is a Toronto Stock Exchange venture company, um, which is also, also in the Bitcoin mining space. Wow, really cool. Now, the companies you guys invest into are all blockchain, crypto, niche down. Is that correct to say, or do you guys go broader than that? So, so we do also add emerging technology into that into that okay. mix, but we are pretty heavily weighted towards blockchain and crypto, as, as you can imagine. Yeah, okay. Well, and it sounds, yeah, you guys had a great, sounds like a great run so far. We're, and we're excited to talk about this space thing. A lot of people, you know, listening as well, want to hear about this. So first off, tell us about how you, how do you get in number one to 
blockchain and crypto in general and creating your own, whether it's a crypto, a lot of people know cryptocurrencies, but the whole bigger world of just blockchain technology in general. And then number two, to start a VC and actually consult others on us. Give us a little bit of your background and story. Yeah, absolutely. So, so maybe I'll start with the story part first and then, and then we'll go into to the first question after that. Uh, so I started off my career at PwC, first insurance practice in Toronto, New York, and then moved into corporate turnaround. So helping companies focus on core growth, uh, help eliminate a lot of, you know, waste uh, and, and sort of, um, you know, areas where they're not very focused. And that, that worked out really well. I did that across North and South America, lived in Brazil for a while. Uh, and then I did an, an MBA at INSEAD. And while I was at INSEAD, decided to start um, a crypto exchange, had, had done that for a little while. We raised three rounds of capital. Our team grew uh, very significantly. And I sold my stake in the business at the end of 2017. And from there, decided to start Blockchain Founders Fund and ScaleX Ventures. And that's gone incredibly well. You know, we tested out a few different strategies. I'd already been doing angel investing for many, many years before that and been advising companies for many years before that. And, um, and about, you know, mid sort of 2019, early to mid 2019, we sort of figured out our, our sweet spot in the way that we supported companies sort of in the best way that worked in our model. And, uh, and, and as you sort of, um, you know, alluded to, we've had very, very strong success over that period. Um, we've had a lot of breakout companies north of say a hundred million dollars valuations from, you know, four or five, six million dollar valuations when you enter into these companies uh we've had a lot of companies get backed by some of the biggest venture funds in the world uh so it's been it's been fantastic and and we're only continuing to scale it uh right now one of the things that we're doing is we're raising a 50 million dollar fund we actually haven't announced this publicly i don't think until till this point wow you've heard um, it here first then okay <laughs> there you go and uh, we've already got over 30 million of that committed, uh, which is exciting. And, um, and we actually also not announced, we also just got uh, in principle approval for our new fund uh, license out of Singapore uh, just about a week ago or so. And so that's also very exciting because that is one of the most trusted sort of regulated jurisdictions in the world for, for running a fund out of. Mm, wow. Well, geez, it sounds, and what, have, and so previous to this, this $50 million raise, what have you been doing previous then? Have you just been using source capital on a syndication type of model? Are you guys been using a fund model or what have you guys been so doing? It's been, yeah. So it's been private capital. So it's, it's uh, from myself and my partner. So it's, it's almost like a, a family office type of model right now. Um, and so we did the first, you know, 55 deals that way and, and still scaling quite a bit. So we're doing about a company a week, uh, which is a very, very quick pace. And we're continuing on that pace on the new fund. So the goal is 200 companies over the next four years, uh, which is a lot of a lot of deals that we're doing yeah. uh, out of the new fund. That's a lot. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's a that's a lot of work <laughs> to be pulling capital that quickly. How big are check sizes? And maybe the maybe your your previous companies. What type of check sizes are you guys typically writing? Yeah. So we're we're pretty early. So we're the focus is uh, so the initial checks are between sixty and two hundred k because we come in pretty early. Yeah. And the follow ons are two hundred fifty to five hundred k. Cool. I love it. That's awesome. So now I'm excited to talk to you about. We're going to talk about raising capital. We're going to talk about deploying capital and block future blockchain. Actually, let's talk about that for a minute here. Um, 
the future of you know crypto and blockchain. I know I think we well we don't need to talk about the future of it in in a rudimentary way. I know a lot of people on this channel know crypto, they believe in it. So a lot of people have crypto as well and blockchain in general. But what are some for you some of the most exciting things you see coming out of the crypto space or blockchain space? I'll kind of I'm putting those both together. I'll let you decide what you want to talk about. But <laughs> what are the most exciting things you're you're seeing coming out of the space right now? Yeah, so, so there's, a, there's a few different parts here in the way that we break it down, right? But if you take sort of the blockchain side first, then, then we'll sort of jump into the crypto mm -hmm. side, but it, it blends as well, right? But, you know, if you take the blockchain side, which is more, tends to be more sort of uh, enterprise focused, so we're talking about more private blockchains for the most part, you know, you're seeing a lot of really exciting things happening, right? So, you know, as an example in our portfolio, we have companies that are tracking, for example, BeatDap is tracking, 70 million monthly active users in the music space. And so what they do is they're basically solving the problem between reported plays and actual plays mm -hmm. from streaming services. You can think of like yeah. Apple Music, Spotify, et cetera, to records and labels. And so it's, you know, you're seeing these phenomenal solutions solving really key problems that are now gaining tremendous amount of traction. Right, we've got similarly really interesting solutions in, say, ag tech solving the problem between, you know, uh, credit profiles for farmers and improving lending facilities from banking institutions. Mm. Most people don't know that in emerging markets, fifty percent of GDP comes from the farming industry or the agricultural industry, and only two percent of lending goes to that industry, which is a huge discrepancy. Right. So yeah. you've got these really interesting solutions like that, that I think are starting to gain traction. I think before this point, a lot of it was, you know, a lot of R&D, a lot of development, but you hadn't seen a ton of traction on that mainstream side as much. And I think that's really starting to take off. I think when you look at the crypto side, you've got a lot of really exciting things. Right. So, for example, the NFT space has been booming. But you've still got, in a lot of cases, sort of very basic NFTs, right? And we've got a lot of companies that are very successful in this space. But, you know, a lot of it's, say, static cards or you're seeing like videos, for example. But I think where this is going it is a lot more interesting because NFTs at the end of the day is the only way to verify or validate authenticity of any goods in a digital world. Mm -hmm. And so you can think of, for example, fashion. As we spend more time in a digital world, we're going to want authentic digital fashion items. So you can think of, you know, what about augmented reality-based Gucci sunglasses or Louis Vuitton handbag? And as we sort of spend more time in this digital world, we think that these things are going to start to take off mm. tremendously. Um, you know, if you're going to spend 90% of your time digitally, you're going to go from spending $10,000 on a physical handbag to spending $10,000 on a digital handbag. So we do think that that's going to blend over sort of a longer period and it's going to start to take off. I love, this, is, I, this is cool. I'm excited to, to ask more follow-up questions. I love, first off, the music thing I think is ingenious. We're going to talk, I, I want to ask more about that. But the last comment you just made um, about moving to a digital world, do you see the world moving towards almost like a ready player one life? I mean, a lot of, we spend a lot of time on, on line web. Do you see that over the, let's call the next few decades, do you see people moving to that where, you're going to spend, just like you said, as much money on a digital asset as you would on a physical asset, even luxury items inside of a, inside of a game, but it, you know, you're spending most of your time there. What are your thoughts there on the future of, of that? 
I, I mean, a hundred percent. Right. I think it's not even necessarily just gaming though. Right. Like it can, it, like, as I was mentioning, yeah. like fashion, I mean, if you're going to start to live in either a VR or even an AR based world, so we have a lot of zoom conversations, yeah. a lot of video based conversations, you can start to have now augmented reality items that are authentic and provable. Right. And, and differentiation is sort of a basic human need. And so I do see that over a longer span, it's going to, you know, it's going to increase substantially. So if you look at a 20, 30, 40 year period, it's going to increase substantially, but it has to start somewhere. So you're already going to have those early adopters starting to do these things. And you're seeing it happen with, you know, already digital sneakers, for example, and other items that are starting to come out. Um, and, and so we're pretty excited about the potential in these areas. And we've got a company, you know, focused on, on digital fashion, for example, but you can also see it with all sorts of other things as, as you have a lot of these NFTs, for example, you now need financial products linked to your NFTs, right? Because you're going to need to borrow against assets, any assets you have, you should be able to ideally borrow against that collateral. So now you're going to have a ton of financial products start to come out, which is, you know, but we're only seeing the start of this, but you're going to see a whole sort of world of finance sort of be linked to the fact that you have these digital assets. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, so there's a lot of exciting things happening in this space and there's a lot more we could always go into, yeah. but you know, this space has a lot of different possibilities across a lot of different areas. I think uh, an example I just thought of is um, on a blue check on your Instagram or Twitter. It, it really just is a blue little thing, but how much would you pay for a blue check? And another service I get hit up every day on Instagram. Hey, pay me $10,000 for a blue check. Give me $8,000. And it's like, well, you kind of, and like the more time goes on, you're like, actually, maybe it's worth eight grand. Maybe it's 10, whatever they, they're offering. Right? I know there's a lot of different ways to get verified or whatever. But it's for people that are listening to, they're like, that's just, I would never spend $200 on virtual sneakers. I mean, look at where we're at already with, uh, you know, of certain things on your social media profiles or things that are more exclusive than others and what you're, you may or may not be willing to pay. I think, uh, to your point, I think it's, it's a pretty interesting world that we're heading into. I want to ask you about the, the previous comment you made about the music industry, about disrupting the music industry. Uh, I, um, I know that you, you have the, the whole idea, right. Of blockchain is decentralization, decentralization, bringing together, whether it's content creators or music creators just write to their users and correctly reporting. Um, I think that's a fantastic idea. Are there other um, industries? I mean, that was, that's a huge disruptor for the music industry. What are some, I know I have some, I want to hear from you though. What are some more um, very prevalent industries you see being disrupted very soon due to blockchain technology? It's a, it's a good question. I mean, there's, there's quite a lot of different areas and I wouldn't always call it disrupted i think in a lot of ways the more successful solutions in in certain cases are going to figure out how to work with market leaders uh so we don't always necessarily look at it as a disruption factor but i mean remittances is a clear one right i mean one of the un sustainable development goals um you know from our work with the un is to lower remittance costs to at most three percent and the only way to actually do this is to is to move to a, a system probably which is a blockchain that's going to be able to cut out a lot of the the fat or the middlemen that are sort of associated in these processes and so that's a really good example of where we're going to see tremendous uh progress and we're already seeing quite a lot we've quite a few companies doing different things in the space i think 
you know, verifiable credentials is a, is a no brainer to me. I think that's one that's, you know, pretty much happening sooner rather than later. People don't realize how big of a problem this is, right? So, you know, you can start with educational credentials as an example. People don't realize that Scott Thompson, the Yahoo CEO had a fake degree, right? Or the MIT Dean of Admissions had a fake degree, right? Like these are very big problems that now are being solved with the ability to have unique verifiable credentials. And then that links into that employment and all of these other things, right? So I think that's another one that's, you know, happening sooner rather than later. You know, we're seeing all sorts of stuff from, you know, real estate's an interesting one. It's been tried and tested a lot, but a lot of failures, I would say so far uh, overall. Uh, But these sorts of things are, are bound to happen. We're seeing progress on a lot of it. Uh, so it's it's an interesting one to to watch for sure. I want to ask you about your portfolio companies as well. You know, to deploy capital into a new deal a week or maybe a couple of week is a lot of uh, a lot of time and effort. Um, I'm sure it's on your end. As far as uh, you know, on the fund management side of things, how do you in this world of I feel like there's a lot of these you know scam coins or Ponzi scheme type of type of offerings. What are some things that help you in the world of brand relatively new space of NFT? You know, let's just call it the blockchain space. Cut through scams or frauds or other things like that. What are and and what are things that you look for when and when you deploy capital in those in companies and and make proper investments? Um, so to deploy that, it's kind of a broad question. I'm going to, I'm going to phrase a little bit better here, but when looking, you know, all these, all these, number one, how do you get over fraud and make sure it's they're good companies to get into? And number two, how do you actually select good companies to invest into? Yeah, it's a, it's a really good question. So, uh, what all of our companies do when, when we meet though, when we're introduced from our venture partners, uh, they all fill out a, a form that gives us a really quick intro. It's a, it's a five minute form. It answers a bunch of questions that helps us understand very quickly an overview about the company. And it helps us to start being able to cut out, um, you know, or, or filter, or figure out which companies we're actually more interested to chat with. You know, we get their deck and all of those things as part of that. And we've got about, uh, I mean, we've got over sort of 90 different things that we look at when we, uh, when we analyze a company. And some of those things we'll have information on or be able to get information. Some of them we won't, right? So for example, if it's about traction or product market fit, if the company is pre-product market fit or has no traction, we won't be able to actually dive into figuring out will this be used or not, right? And so in those cases, we might go to an expert. So we, have a, we have what we call the BFF Global Expert Network. We've got about 200 executives. A lot of these are Fortune 500 executives, fund managers, a lot of uh, successful entrepreneurs across all sorts of industries. And, you know, we'll tap into them to see if, you know, something makes sense. Would they find value in the solution? Would their companies use the solution potentially? That helps us to understand then product market fit in those cases. And obviously not perfectly, but a better understanding of it. Um, You know, we'll look at all sorts of things from like the team in detail. We'll do background checks. We'll look at, you know, progress over the last few months if we can to try to understand over a certain time period. This is actually a really interesting one because... Anyone can tell you anything at time zero when you talk to them, but if you can look forward or back at all, you can actually see then, well, what does progress look like, which is very important. Um, There's all sorts of other things that we'll do, but because we come into companies so early, an important thing is, you know, they might not actually have any sales yet. They might not actually even have the right business model. There's been cases with our companies that are really interesting. There's been cases where we've talked to companies and they said, you know, we're doing 
massive amounts of R&D and development, it's going to take us a year and a half to launch. And we looked at this and we said, well, you're not building one product. You're actually building six products. This is actually a real case. You're building six products. Two of them are done. You can go to market tomorrow with two products. And the other four you can put on the back burner to test out if these two products are actually going to get some traction. And that actually helps our companies a lot. So then we would make that a condition of you know, bringing them in on we actually change the strategy and we go after launching immediately on this. And so you'll find cases like that too. And it, it does change a little bit depending on the company. Huh, interesting. That's, um, well, and it sounds like you guys have a plenty of experience as well to identify and help. And you said you're very hands-on with these companies as well. What are some, what are some things that you guys offer to the table when you, when you guys invest with a startup, what are some things that you feel like is a good value add? And if people are listening to the show too, they might say, Hey, I need to connect with these guys. They'd be a great fit for my team as well. Yeah. So, so what's really interesting is we're very specifically also looking for companies that are coachable. And this is something that is a criteria for us. And it's not necessarily a criteria for a lot of other funds. And the key reason here is we talk to our companies every single week in a lot of cases, multiple times a week. And that's pretty intense, you know, for, for some people and and some people find that very helpful. Right. So it, it really depends on sort of your, your taste. Um, and as I mentioned, we get really hands-on with things like, you know, how do we actually go to market? How do we test hypotheses effectively? How do we actually build scalable processes and systems? So we're not a fan of anything ad hoc. If like we can build a scalable system on how to fill the funnel, who to go after, et cetera, we're going to help our companies do that. And so our team is very hands-on with these things. We also have, you know, designers that our companies can use, you know, for free that, you know, we just cover because it's important for our companies to have their branding on point. So it's not on point. We'll tell them user designers make it better, right? Things like that, that I think are very critical. Um, we also have, you know, really good like templates and examples for pretty much everything now, um, which is really helpful for our companies to see what is a world-class example of something look like. And, and I'll give you, I'll give you an example of that. We went through about a thousand different pitch decks and we took the single best slide for each different thing. And that's really helpful when you show, you know, one of your startups and say, here's the best problem slide we've ever seen, or here's the best solution slide, or here's the best, you know, uh, traction slide. And, and, it, and it gives these really, really world-class examples to our companies to then put side by side and say, how do we do ours better? Right. And then we'll also give them feedback after that. But uh, these are a lot of things that you don't see other funds doing. Um, and then, as I mentioned, we have, our, we have our global expert network that's been really, really helpful for our companies. Uh, we've got a lot of corporate partnerships that also provides a lot of value to our companies. So there's a lot of different areas that, that we're involved in to help drive value uh, you know, for our startups. I love it. And for people listening too, how can people get in contact with you guys? What's a good spot to go? Or if, they, if they've got a company that potentially wants to pitch you guys, where's your intake form? Yeah, absolutely. So you can go to blockchainff.com. You'll find the form on there. We actually respond to 100% of companies. So uh, reach out to us. Uh, we, we're generally pretty quick. It's, it's generally under seven days for us to get back to, to companies. And we want to hear from you. We want to hear, even if you think it's early, reach out to us. It might be too early for others, but we, you know, we take chances on early companies as well. So uh, definitely share what you're working on with us. Blockchainff.com. Okay, Correct. perfect. Blockchainff.com. Go check it out if you guys want to see more from from um, their team and submit your potentially your business with them as well. Um, I, I think that's crucial. I, I love the hands-on approach. 
it's it's active investing, not passive or lazy investing. You guys are very there, and why? And to your point, you guys are in the top one percent of all VCs. How well you've done, I would guess that's a crucial aspect to what you're doing, and probably a big reason why companies want to work with you as well because of the expertise, the design team, and the other things you bring, the systems and processes you bring to those teams. I think is incredible. All right, I want to switch gears here. Thoughts on Elon Musk tweets. And he, you know, and we can talk about Elon Musk in general, you know, as this guy, and he's like the, I, what people call him the king of crypto and all these things. He, he moves markets more than anybody else, it feels like. But we'll talk about one speaking of two. He, he, he cited the environmental costs of blockchain and crypto and, and Bitcoin specifically. Thoughts, uh, your thoughts on the environmental costs of blockchain and crypto. What are your thoughts? Is that something, that, a factor that you guys even think about when you're getting into these companies? Is it something that's going to solve itself down the road? Like, what do you guys think about? What's your thoughts? It's a good question. I mean, actually, we just became signatories to the Crypto Climate Accord, um, which you've probably been also hearing about quite a bit in the news. And I am on the board of two public companies in the mining space, right? So this is something that we're always thinking about. And, you know, I think there's definitely a lot of misconceptions here. I think that you know, when you look at the global mix, you do see a lot of uh, dirty energy used with Bitcoin. That That is true. But a lot of that's actually coming from, uh, you know, emerging markets, China, especially when you look at coal usage or, or Mongolia and, and other places. And, and and you may also have seen over the last month, China has actually been cracking down a lot on, on uh, mining facilities. And so, we're seeing tremendous amounts of volume of miners moving from east to west, so from, from Asia to North America right now. And I think that's going to change the global mix pretty significantly. And you see a lot more cleaner energies uh, being used in North America. And I think this will continue to change over time as well. Like you've got a lot of energy facilities that are now uh, performing better. They're fully utilized and they're going to have to build more facilities. And they're going to continue to build more cleaner energy, right? And so as you sort of uh, continue to have these uh, power generators doing better and better, they will actually uh, result, I think, in cleaner energy. I think also some people don't realize that uh, in a lot of cases right now, you've also got a lot of curtailed power uh, in the energy industry. So this is, um, this is energy that's essentially discarded. You can think of it like that. And that happens a lot more with renewables than it does um, with other forms of energy. And just, just yeah, because, yeah, what do you mean by that? Go, example, go more depth on that. Yeah. Yeah. So, so for example, solar produces energy in off-peak hours, right? So if you think about the highest usage times is going to be right in the mornings when you wake up before you go to work, and then you actually have the highest usage then in the evenings by far. And solar doesn't actually generate power in the evenings because the sun isn't out, right? And so storage technology is generally not good enough uh, right now. So even in the hydro industry, if you think about hydroelectric power, the way that energy is actually stored, and I'm going to simplify it, right? But the way that energy is actually stored is they actually pump up, the, they basically turn the energy back into water, they pump it up into a very high uh, essentially area and then in peak hours, it actually drops that water through a turbine and turns it back in energy. That actually consumes more energy than it produces. But the reason why you do it is because you can actually 
create more energy during peak hours and you'd essentially waste more energy during non-peak hours. And so a lot of people need to understand the, the nuances here of a lot of these things. And so a lot of the times when you're using energy in off-peak hours, it's actually not so bad. Um, and of course, these energy mixes need to get better, but you're already starting to see a lot of that happen, I think, in, in North America. It's so interesting so, about the... Oh, sorry, keep going. Did you have... I'll let you finish that. Yeah. No, no, go ahead, go ahead. I was going to ask about the storage facilities. I mean, I've, I've met a number of people that have been painstakingly work on working on battery technology and storage technology. And it's just, if it sounds like they just keep hitting roadblocks, they cannot figure out real, I mean, battery technology, just efficiency is just not really increased that much. Any thoughts from you to anything, anything hopeful in that realm? It's like, we can create all this power, but we just can't store it. Any thoughts from you there? It's, and that's maybe from a few people I've talked to. I'd love to hear your thoughts on it. I, I mean, I think I think in, in reality, I would still say there's been tremendous progress when you think of it over the last decade, right? I mean, electric vehicles wouldn't have been possible more than 10 years ago. And, and it's come a long way and you're seeing pretty high penetrations of electric vehicles now in a lot of a lot of markets. Uh, and that's that's really only going to continue to increase. Right. I mean, even the mainstream players are, are going pretty heavily into electric uh, as part of their plans. So I, I think we've come a long way on on transportation, et cetera. I think the, the big problem is, is it going to be cost effective for storing energy versus other forms? You need to be producing energy so cheap and then you need to be able to store it. And that combined cost needs to be cheaper than other alternatives, right? And so this is where uh, I think right now it's, it's not even close. Uh, but, you know, I, I think there's you know, probably over the longer run, there will be better ways to, to store and there will be better technologies that'll continue to launch. There'll be more hydroelectric, et cetera, that'll continue to, to, to come online as, you know, energy capacities are being fully met or close yeah. to fully met. So, you know, I, I'm optimistic on that. And you're seeing in reality, less and less coal being built around the world. Almost everywhere is almost stopped coal building except for a couple of places uh, like major, a couple of major countries, but you know, you're seeing that, you know, tuned down quite a bit, uh, for versus cleaner energy sources. Interesting. Well, it'll be inter yeah, interesting to see what happens. Um, and I, it's a very cool that you're on those, those boards and, and have signed on the, uh, with the UN and all those things to, on the, to help, uh, with energy as well. I want to ask you, um, a different question here back to Elon Musk. We're talking about his tweets and with crypto in general. So let's, let's move over to crypto now. And I know people are watching this a lot of, a lot of hype around crypto we've seen over the last 18 months. Well, we've seen this in 2017 as well, but your thoughts on cryptocurrencies, we'll do some quick hits um, for, uh, for, and again, it's not financial advice. This is just opinions and thoughts, but we'll go quick hits here. Uh, target price for Bitcoin end of this year, 2021. What do you got? It's a, it's a good question. So, I mean, typically we don't predict, uh, we don't predict these. We're in, we're in a lot of these more yeah. longer term, but you know, if, if I had to, if I had to pick something, I, I mean, I'd probably say in the range of 40, 40 to 50 K it might, it might stagnate for a lot of this okay. year. So, and then five years time period on, oh, let's go Bitcoin first. Bitcoin. Um, uh, I mean, I, I could easily see this to, to 250 K. Gotcha. Awesome. Ethereum thoughts on Ethereum or, and, and any, well, actually we'll, we'll, we'll go, I guess we'll go Ethereum. Then we'll go just other coins that you like as well, but Ethereum target price, 2021. 
It's a, it's a good question. I mean, I'm, I'm quite bullish on Ethereum. Uh, I mean, I would say, you know, back, back to around 3000. And then five years. You see, you sound bullish. Uh, Do you see Ethereum becoming really the, the main, at least most utility currency? I mean, I I think they have very different, uh, cases, right. And and so I, I'm still very bullish on, on Bitcoin as well. Uh, but, but I do see Ethereum most likely, you know, maintaining and, and growing sort of their, their altcoin dominance, if you want to still call them an altcoin, but, um, you know, I could, could very much see Ethereum north of, of seven or 8,000, uh, yeah. you know, in the next five And then, years. um, for, you know, other, what are some other, for people that are listening to other coins that excite you or that you like the technology behind it, maybe something to watch, you know, as, as things that are more up and coming. What are some, any, any ones that you recommend to look at or look into? Yeah. I mean, I, I think, well, I think there's, uh, I mean, Solana, you know, I think that's a clear one that's been getting a lot of interest and a lot of, um, you know, excitement by all sorts of projects. I think Polygon. So Solana was one. the first one, Polygon. Uh, okay. Yeah. I think they've been making big moves. I think the, the bigger way that I look at these at least, um, is what are the things that, you know, you could probably see as, as part of a, a major, like a, a big part of our future, right? So you could take, you know, I think privacy is going to become a bigger and bigger topic. And so does that mean in 10 years, we're very likely to have, you know, decentralized internet, for example, um, and, and miners all around the world helping to secure, secure that network. And I, and I think that's very, very possible to have this as a pretty mainstream thing. So not, not extremely niche. There is, there is examples of niche markets right now. Uh, and, and I think so. Right. And so that might mean the next hundred billion dollar to trillion dollar market could come out of mm-hmm. a private internet. Right. And so that's something to watch out for and, and start to study up and look at, you know, who's doing what in that space as an example. And I think this is a really good way to look at, you know, what could be up and coming as trends as part of the broader, decentralization, solving some of these human trust issues that come out of blockchain as a Interesting. whole. Now that's, that's a good way to look at it, right? What are some big, what are going to be big topics, big things that, and then a, a blockchain or a crypto could solve those things. Um, thoughts on the Fed coin. Will it happen? Will it not happen? When I, I'm a, I'm very, I think it's going to happen relatively soon, but what are your thoughts on uh, the Fed coin and, uh, and yeah, thoughts around that? Yeah. I mean, so, so, I mean, central bank digital currencies are, you know, I think are inevitable, right? I mean, we're, there's no world that I can possibly foresee where we're less digital in the future than we are now. And so if you sort of use that hypothesis, I mean, it's inevitable that this will happen and it'll happen sooner rather than later. So, I mean, I think you're, you're getting a lot of pressure because China's, you know, pretty far ahead on this. And in, in five years, I think you'll have a pretty clear... Fed plan either rolled out or a clear rollout plan from that point for, for a go live. Um, and, and so I think it's pretty realistic to expect, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't look at this as a decentralized currency, right? This is very much centralized uh, and controlled and, and in fact, give central banks more tools at their disposal than they have now. Yeah, I agree. I think it's, uh, it's interesting that all the, I mean, it's, it's too juicy not to do. It's too enticing for a central bank to not do that. Right. And so I, uh, I totally agree with you there. Do you see, um, the, you know, 
what do you see a banking institutions evolving into or being disrupted by, I mean, a, a central bank coin, I think in a lot of ways moves out the, the need for a Wells Fargo or for a key bank. Do you see that though, as these private, you know, credit unions and lenders, do you see a big disruption there with a fed coin coming out? And, and maybe the Fed just using a company like BlackRock to just do all their, all their, all their doings. And again, this is predictions. Who knows what's going to happen? But I love to, I love to go down the rabbit hole a little bit. What are your thoughts there with, with large banks? Well, well th this is really interesting, right? Because the, the U.S. Uh, Federal Reserve did announce already the, the Fed now plans for, for 2024 uh, a while ago. And, and I think what was concerning for the banks as part of that is they could technically and seemingly look like they might be overstepping in some ways you might call it the, the traditional financial institutions that are there and dealing directly with consumers or citizens or whatever you want to call it. And so this will be interesting to see because I think it'll be very political. I'm not sure that they would actually do that in practice. I, I think that would surprise most people because, you know, modern economic theory, uh, you just don't have central banks dealing directly with citizens. And, you know, it, however, having said that, if you look at the last 10 years of modern economic theory, a lot of it's gone out the window or yeah. monetary oh, yeah. economics. Right. <laughs> and, and so and so I, I wouldn't I wouldn't maybe be too surprised if it happened, but I think it would be a very big shift in global mm -hmm. monetary economics. And I think a lot of countries won't go that way. It would take a lot, I think, um, and a lot of power for a central bank to, to be doing that. Uh, Interesting. Directly. I love it. Um, so yeah, some interesting, uh, insights for, for what the future potentially could hold. I know you're busy, Ali. I got the last question, Ali, excuse me, Ali, excuse me. I keep saying Ali, it's Ali. Um, my bad. The, uh, last question I have for you and we'll let you go. I like to do this for everybody that's on the show. I'm going to give you the mic for two minutes. You can share whatever you'd feel like would be most valuable for this audience. Maybe things that we didn't cover, didn't hit on, or you can talk politics, religion, faith crypto block whatever you want to talk about we can talk about two minutes though i'm going to leave you the mic open and you can share what you feel like would be most valuable out of your heart to this group that's this audience is listening so here we go i give you the mic and we will hear it from you absolutely all right so i mean if you're a, a fund or looking to start a fund out there i mean always happy to share insights and best practices so do feel free to reach out. It's uh, it's never an easy journey, uh, but you know if you can start building up a track record, you know as I sort of mentioned a lot of the stuff that we were doing, I think that can be very valuable as part of part of this. If you're a startup out there, I mean make sure you're passionate about what you do. Make sure you're solving a real problem. I think a lot of startups that we see, I mean there's a lot of different traps that startups can fall into, but you know, make sure that you're not just building for the sake of building and you're always going out and testing that, getting feedback, creating proper feedback loops as part of, uh, you know, your product development cycles. And, you know, we usually recommend to talk to at least 30 prospective clients while you're building your product, right? Just to actually be able to start getting feedback on it, start getting some surveys, understand are you actually creating value, where they pay for it, et cetera. So I think this is very critical when you're an early stage startup. And, you know, if if you are actually building a, a startup, do reach out to us, share it with us. Even if it's not blockchain, we're happy to take a look 
Um, there's a lot of people that we know as well. There's very often cases where we'll actually introduce uh, companies that, that come to us that may not be a great fit for us to other investors uh, as part of our network or even just to other potential really good clients that could be a, a good fit for you. So uh, we are happy to help in those ways for, for really interesting startups. Uh, so a, a, as always, keep building, you know, stay positive and reach out if you're working on something interesting. I love it. I uh, thank you so much again. Uh, what was the uh, blockchainff.com? Correct. Blockchainff.com is the best place to go. Any other spots to send people to, to reach out? Is that the best spot? I mean, you, that's the best spot. Okay. If you want to reach out to me on Twitter or LinkedIn, though, uh, you can find me at Ali Madavji. So please do feel free to reach out and I'll, I'll do my best to get back to you. Okay, perfect. Ali, thank you so much for coming on today. It's been a pleasure. Thanks so much for having me, Bridger. Bridger here. I have four free and simple ways I can further help you to scale your business or fund. Number one, I have a YouTube channel with actually, I don't, to toot my own horn, I think it's decent content on there. Go check it out. Bridger Pennington is a YouTube channel. We go very deep on funds. Number two, I have a one hour free training at investmentfundsecrets.com. We go very deep into how to actually start and scale your very own fund from ground zero. Number three, you can join our free private Facebook group of like-minded people like me and you that go out and launch and scale funds. I go live in there once a week. The name of the group is Investment Fund Secrets. And then number four, finally, I have a free PDF guide on how to actually launch and scale your fund. If you go to investmentfundsecrets.com slash guide, you can download that guide. Now, finally, people always ask me, Bridger, can you help me one-on-one? -on -one? Can we work together? Yes, I don't wanna talk about that on here, but if you wanna learn more, message me, Bridger at investmentfundsecrets.com or just DM me on Instagram. Thank you guys, and I'll see you in the next episode.